I'm your host, Kat Lively, and with us today is founding member and vocalist, Three Dog Night, Mr. Danny Hutton. Hello, Danny. Hi, Kat. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. We started in uh, late 68. Yes. And kind of had a, we started having, you know, records really happened at 69. But we had hits all the way up through 74, I guess. Yeah. 75. It was between like 69 and 75, you guys were one of the biggest fans on the planet. Well, we hold the record for the most consecutive top uh, 40 hits in a row. 21, uh, right? Uh, yeah, 21 in a row, which is crazy, which mm-hmm. means that uh, we can never release another song. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yes. we'll break our record. <laughs> how, do you, how do you guys feel about that? There aren't too many people other than you guys who, who have really done that, is there? Yeah, yeah, we, we you don't realize it. Looking back is a whole different thing. Right. Uh, when you're doing it, it's it's just you're in the flow. You don't really kind of realize, and, uh, and no one's telling you about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were the first group, uh, which like history has been rewritten a little bit. Uh, and after the Beatles, we were the first group that did stadiums. Wow. The first group before Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and all that stuff. Well, we were we did the Cotton Bowl, the Atlanta Braves Stadium, and the, with the you know the big screens and the and the oh, yeah. and the it was the start of the big sound systems uh, because the Beatles obviously they they had <laughs> their speakers are stuff that they had in uh, nightclubs mm-hmm. and, and 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 small uh, you know to a thousand seat places, and then they were doing stadiums. It was crazy. So. Uh, yeah. It was a good learning process. Do you remember the first stadium that you played? Uh, yeah, the Cotton Bowl, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the, the Faces opened for us. Uh, Rod mm-hmm. Stewart was in the Faces then, so mm-hmm. it was Rod Stewart and the Faces were our opening act. <laughs> wow, incredible, incredible. Yeah, so it was crazy. But uh, I love uh, your old Hollywood stuff. You know, I I, I was lucky enough to uh, to grow up in Hollywood. In the fifties, in the early fifties, so uh, it, it was a crazy. I came from Ireland to Boston when I was five, mm-hmm. and then I moved to um, my mother and I uh, took the train from Boston, sitting up for what three days uh, to get to. She didn't call it Los Angeles; she called it Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to Hollywood, honey. <laughs> yes. so, uh, that that was my start. That's that's amazing. I'm sure you've got got some stories. Did you um, run into anyone as as a kid here or running around? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't. Uh, it, it's kind of strange my whole situation. I came when I was five. My mother in Boston. You know, all of the Irish people came, and I had all the uncles and aunts. And she was she ran a boarding house, and uh, there was this robbery called the Brinks Brinks robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, they, they made a movie about it uh, 
Billy Friedkin made a movie about it. And uh, my, uh, I, it was the largest uh, heist in the history of the United States as far as money. Uh, and I guess all these guys are dressed with the clown costumes on, the, on their face. And uh, they, they robbed the, they robbed it. I think it was four or five guys. And after the robbery, they all met and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to hide the money and no one talk about this. So one of the guys, Spex O'Keefe, uh, went around bars after a month or so, started bragging about it. And the other guys were so furious with him that they hired an assassin to kill him. Wow. Uh, and uh, his name is Trigger Burke. So uh, he ended up, uh, Mr. Maloney, as he called himself, ended up in our boarding house up on the top floor. <laughs> wow. So he went out to, to kill Spex O'Keefe. And uh, he chased him around wherever wherever it was, shot him in the leg, but didn't get him. Mm-hmm. So we we got a knock on the door about a week later, and there was a police, and they said, "Mrs. Hutton," and they showed a picture. Is this? Do you know this guy? And said, yeah, this is Mr. Maloney. And they said, "No, it isn't. This is a guy named Mr. Trigger Burke." <laughs> she had to go down to the police station and identify him. And I used to sit on the steps with him. He was a real, he seemed like a very sweet guy. He was, had been an army ranger. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, uh, so he's, he, he said, Mrs. Hutton, I'm so sorry. And I, I didn't want to bring you people into it. I would never hurt a child or a woman kind of a thing. Yeah. And so yeah. then he, 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 he was in prison. He went to jail uh, in Boston and he escaped uh, dressed as a woman out of the, the visit, visitor's room. And uh, so the police came to the house and said, uh, you're going to need protection because he's going to come after you, you people. And uh, my mother said he would never do that. So they're all Irish cops. So for six months, we had police day and night in our house. Oh, and wow. I came home from the movies one night uh, on my bicycle, and my mother said, we're leaving we're going to Hollywood next week. I can't stand it. So that that's the reason that uh, I came to Hollywood. Uh, and then I, I was at the theater on Hollywood reason. Boulevard, and they used to have these old newsreels, mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of these show movies. And the, there was Trigger Burke, caught uh, down south, and um, it went to the electric chair. Wow. So that was my start in Hollywood. Cinematic, to say the least. Yeah, and uh, so we 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 moved two weeks, and we lived in this little courtyard with the relatives we knew from Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, Selma, uh, Selma and Gower Street, and uh, then we ended up. It was horrible. We ended up uh, down way down La Brea, Roseland, almost by Adams. Then finally, my mother rented rented a, 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 an apartment up uh, in Beechwood Canyon, up. Uh, and uh, so I went to I went to school. I went to a school called Blessed Sacrament, a Catholic school down uh, down uh, across from uh, Sunset Recording. Yes. Uh, yeah, I know uh, exactly where that uh, is. Anyway, it was a, it was a, a parochial school, and Loretta Young used to come every morning and sneak in the little side door, no say mass. John Wayne get buried there, and uh, I would go every Sunday to church, but I would stand way in the back, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, 
Liberace, I see Liberace there, uh, Spike Jones, uh, Dan Terranova, he was the guy in Blackboard Jungle that uh, used the flag to, uh, to, to stop Vic Morrow from hurting Glenn Ford. <laughs> all these crazy, all these crazy people. Uh, uh, it was, you know, like uh, I would go to Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard, I, re I remember seeing because that's where my bus stop was. Mm -hmm. um, I, I saw William Frawley, you know, from My Love Lucy. Yes, of course. Uh, and there's a little little guy, a little small person called Angie mm -hmm. Rosito. Uh, he, he was in the movies a lot, these monster movies, but he sold newspapers. <laughs> Didn't do that. He had a newspaper stand. Wow. Uh, Pat O'Brien, mm -hmm. uh, Gail Gordon from, uh, from uh, uh, what, what was the... Gil Gordon, well, he was in a couple of shows. He was in Lucia Ball show also. Mm -hmm. uh, Brooks. So, uh, and the, the Wallach Music City was at uh, Sunset Sunset and Vine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to go in there, and they had these little listening booths yeah. where you they allow you to go in maybe twice to, to play a record uh, to see if you wanted to buy it. So everybody, of course, would go in there and just play records as long as they can until they get thrown out. And I remember being in there playing a record, and Fred Astaire walked past <laughs> oh, the yeah. window, and it was incredible. That's he, amazing. He he walked and looked just like he did in the movies. In that graceful thing. Uh, it was that. There was there was another guy. Um, what was his name? Uh, uh, Eden Abes. Mm -hmm. He wrote a song called Nature Boy that. Uh, uh, that Nat King Cole sang, had a hit. Like I said, you're probably too young, but oh no, no, he, no, I'm a big he, Nat King he, Cole used fan. To, he supposedly was friends with Gypsy Boots, so he had a tent up under the Hollywood sign. But he came down to Sunset and Vine every day, mm -hmm. and would walk past the uh, the Brown Derby. You know, there are a couple oh, yeah. of Brown Derbies. Of course. But everybody always talks about the one on Wilshire Boulevard that looked like a derby hat. Uh huh. But the really the popular one was on Vine Street, yes. uh, almost in Hollywood and Vine. Mm -hmm. uh, so everybody kind of used to to hang out there. So I have some, I have a lot of fond memories that's of those early days. That's one of the places I wish they would have kept as a landmark. So they've got Musso oh, and Frank well, in the Formosa. There's so many places like that Yeah, exactly. it's, it's just like very disposable. So much history, uh, so much history happened in those places. But um, you mentioned Nat King Cole, I'm a big Nat King Cole fan. Yeah, absolutely. All of that jazz and blues and you name it. You know, Chet Baker is one of my favorites. Um, what did you say? You say Chet Baker? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. He was, he was a strange person, but what a what a I, I, I like to I like to sing mm -hmm. uh, almost better. Not better, but in a way he, he sang like he played the trumpet. Yeah, he did. Know. He did really. That's that's the perfect way to describe it. Well, yeah. he, he did. <clears throat> he didn't use the vibrato <clears throat> when he sang. It was real direct. It was just mm -hmm. a different form of Miles Davis. <clears throat> but I, yeah. <clears throat> then uh, we finally uh, we lived in a couple of different places up on uh, Beachwood Drive, mm -hmm. up in the up in the canyon, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, my mother, uh, my mother got a, a job at uh, on Hollywood Boulevard at this uh, fast food 
well, it's not fast food, but one of those diners called uh, Coffee Coffee Dance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so she's coming home, driven home. She didn't drive, and right at at uh, Hollywood Boulevard and Gower, a car going. They were making a left turn, my mother's car, and they were going seventy miles an hour and plowed in to the car. Mm. So she was she had a broken leg and a broken jaw and all this stuff. But she made enough money from the lawsuit to buy a house mm-hmm. up in Beachwood Canyon, which I still have. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was it was ended up being a wonderful thing that happened. Blessing in, in disguise. In that in that sense. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, then she, then she. She, she uh, obtained a job at a place called Harry's, uh-huh. uh, which was a, like a um, kind of like a diner. Uh, do you know Birds on Franklin? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, that was Harry's, and uh, I used I, I started washing dishes there, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I met a guy named Earl Leaf, mm-hmm. and he was a photographer. He did Marilyn Monroe. He did all sorts of people. It was a crazy place, and. Uh, uh, Red West, who was uh, Elvis's uh, bodyguard buddy, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Red actually uh, um, gave me a kitten from Elvis, a litter that Elvis had. So uh, interesting, interesting place. And uh, uh, Earl ended up uh, doing all, a lot of work for the Beach Boys. Uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but he, he, my favorite thing is uh, he told me that he was in he was in China uh, with Ma Ma Tung during the whole the whole thing with him trying to make it. You know the revolution when he was fighting Chiang Kai Shek, uh, and uh, he he said he was an incre- incredible uh, basketball player. He loved basketball, and I, now I, I realize that Chinese like it. But I thought that's so strange. The Chinese guy that's the head of the country who loves basketball <laughs> yeah and uh you know it was just a wonderful wonderful period uh for me well all of it has been i was very lucky uh, so i got to meet a lot of people and earl earl put in a little thing in the man he didn't say i was a dishwasher you know young young star to be danny hutton so anyway so uh, I, I ended up going to uh, notre dame High school in the valley, mm-hmm. um, and they they were having these dances at uh, it was called Cairo. I don't even know how it's spelled. Uh, and it was like a, all the, all the kids would go on a Friday night and uh, no alcohol, and this was you know the, the part of the part of the school actually. And uh, I met uh, Shelly Fabres there when she was doing the Donna Reed show. Uh huh. Yep. So I, we ended up dating, uh, and she lived a half a block from uh, Birds, really up the side streets. They just had a regular, regular little house. So I, I've the dishwasher me. I ended up. I bought a Jaguar, an XK120, mm-hmm. for nine hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You believe that? Yeah. <laughs> They're worth probably three, three hundred thousand now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it was just a used car. So uh, I put on my Letterman sweater, you know, I had four stripes. I was a four-year varsity guy, and uh, uh, I, uh, I, I escorted her to the f- a football game. And it was a very, 
proud moment in my life. Very sweet, yeah. And then she ended up uh, marrying uh, Lou uh, Lou Adler, okay. who I, I, you know, I got to know uh, from uh, Dunhill because he was started Dunhill Records, which was our record company. And then I ended up uh, dating a Patty McCormick from the Bad Seed. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that happens, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I certainly was not making any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then uh, after after high school, I didn't even go to graduation. <clears throat> I. I had saved enough money where, where I saw some ads. Uh, I booked a couple of things. So I started, uh, took a cab uh, to uh, Santa Monica, to right by the pier. And so I sat in the car with uh, six other people stuffed in the car to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I hitchhiked from Chicago to New York. Uh, took me a week. How, what was that like? I'm sure that was crazy. Uh, well, adventurous. You know, when you're 18 or whatever. Oh, hell. You know, I'm thinking. It, it was a lot less dangerous. Right, right. Or it appeared to be a lot less dangerous. Yeah. So I, I got to New York and uh, went to, uh, I stayed at the YMCA. And then, uh, and I didn't know New York, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Then I, I went I went down to the village and saw this whole scene happening. Now, you got to realize this is 1961. Right. It was exactly the same time as that Dylan came into town mm-hmm. f- for the first time. Oh, so he was hanging. I, I didn't meet him, but that whole vibe was that thing. Yeah. I knew there was something crazy going on. I got the whole feel for that. Uh, and then I, I, got, I got on a, a student ship and one of those things where there was six bunks, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not double, bu- triple bunks, you know, as far as <laughs> with guys in them, and uh, landed in Le Havre in France, didn't know a word of French, <laughs> idiot, and I had a friend who, who was, who had joined the French Air Force, uh, and we kind of sang a little bit together, and I phoned him, but to get the get him on the phone, I had to speak to the operator. You know, it was yeah. like, holy crap, I went, I can't make hand signals. <laughs> can't do that. Can't point so I, I starved in Paris for for uh, for about three or four days. Went to London, yeah. and they, uh, they couldn't couldn't get me into the youth hostel downtown, which, where I, which I wanted, I thought, and they ended up sending me up to the, they said the country, up to Hampstead, Hampstead Heath, <laughs> The, the most glorious part of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's where I stayed, and I, you know, I, w- I went to the Flask, the uh, the pub where uh, Charles Dickens used oh, to write. Yeah. It was just a great introduction. Mm-hmm. Rented a bicycle, uh, and uh, went to uh, Southampton. And well, I, I actually went a couple of days, and uh, I couldn't. I. I couldn't move my legs because I hadn't practiced riding a bicycle. Uh, I stopped at actually Canterbury, I think. Then I got to Southampton and said, screw this. So I hitchhiked on trucks and would throw my bicycle on the back. Ended up in in Liverpool, 
just when the Beatles were playing at the cave, of course, I didn't know it, and I didn't go. I didn't know to go there. I think I had to catch a, catch a boat the next day. Uh, and But I got, I got a sense of, of how Liverpool felt. I stayed at the YMCA there, and I looked out. There was a park. I looked out at out the window, and there was a, like a gang of guys. Mm-hmm. And the band downstairs had just finished, and they, they just started beating them up. And mm-hmm. throwing rocks at my window, and I thought, "Let me out of this town." Wow. It was very rough. In fact, yeah. uh, uh, Cello Black uh, was uh, the co- you probably know that was, was a code girl yeah. at uh, the cave. Mm-hmm. Well, she was uh, white. That was her last name. <laughs> she changed it to Black, which is funny. Uh, then uh, I um, went to to Ireland and went to my hometown. And I spent about a month there, lived in a barn, uh, and then came back, came back to the States. Well, I, bought a, I bought a guitar, which was my first real guitar, acoustic guitar. What, did you, um, that was, yeah, so dur- during all of that, did you, did you play any music, or did you, what, was that before that, that was just... No, 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 I wasn't really, you know, I was one of those guys that would bring a, a used guitar to a party and kind of strum right, a couple right. of chords and just, I, what, that, no, I wasn't doing a gigging or anything like that, I was not an artiste, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a shy guy with a guitar, yeah. uh, and I came back to the States, and uh, fumbled around, uh, little odd jobs, and then I, I, I acquired a, a job at uh, Disney, mm-hmm. uh, Walt Disney Studios, and my job was to load and unload trucks of uh, uh, boxes of albums off of trucks mm-hmm. on pallets, um, and that was my my start. In the, in, I started in the business loading and unloading records. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, now that's that's the way to start. Mm-hmm. But but I, I uh, they would they would send a magazine once a week called Billboard. But Billboard then was not a magazine that the people. It was an industry magazine. It was basically for just people that, that really kind of worked mm-hmm. physically with records and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, but in the back section, they had a section called uh, uh, Worldwide Europe, and then they had a column for different c- countries, and they had one for England, and I saw a picture of the Beatles, mm-hmm. and it freaked me out. <laughs> I'm completely unknown in the United States, and I became uh, the expert on the Beatles. Amazing. You know who Kim Fowley is? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> Kim started to be the business, but he, he always said this this is the guy Danny Hutton knows. This is the guy to talk to. He brought he uh, he he ended up uh, living up in my attic for for a, a couple of months. Mm-hmm. My mother loved him, so he brought up uh, Jack Nietzsche mm-hmm. and uh, 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 Jackie DeShannon. They had to climb a ladder to get up uh, to, to where I lived, part of the house. And I played them the kind of chord structure of, of the Beatles. I, I explained to them who the Beatles were. They did not know. Uh, I had I had From Me to You on uh, VJ Records. I had uh, uh, She Loves You. Uh, uh, I Let Me Do on, was it on Swan. 
what white label. Think of that, and I, it the first time? So uh, that's that was my first songbook. Was the Beatles songbook? What, so, did, uh, what did what did Kim? What did they think of? Uh, what did they think of the Beatles when you told them about about them? Well, I I, I think they. I, I don't. I guess they talked to each other afterwards. I, I didn't know, but Kim brought them up, uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. and just because he he felt they were going to happen. Like I said, this is way before I want to hold your hand. You know, I want to hold your hand and uh, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starting out, wow. Yeah. So uh, that 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 was that was my start. Uh, then, then from uh, Disney Studios, uh, uh, I I got a call from Kim, and he said uh, Panda Barbera is starting a, a record company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should, uh, and they want to do to get into rock. So why don't you go over and see what's going on? I told him you're, you're the young dude that knows off on the streets that knows what you know who to sign and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went over and they gave me a. Uh, a copy of uh, of of some track, you know, uh, of, of one of the cartoon things, and uh, hippity hoppity kangaroo or something like that. So they said, "Well, you go in the other. How long will it take you to, you know, write something?" I said, "Give me give me another room. I'll be back in twenty minutes." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote it in twenty minutes, and they went, "Okay, you're hired." So I was a I was the head of A and R uh, for Hanna Barbera Records, and that's when it all kind of started happening. I was I, I was not a uh, I was not a quote performer guy. I was a studio rat. You know, mm-hmm. I would go in a studio and I I would uh, I would fake my way through all of the instruments. And if I couldn't play a guitar part right, I would slow the track down, then play the part really slow and then speed the track back up <laughs> to normal speed. Yeah. And if I needed a drum, I'd get a padded leather seat and I whack it with my the palm of my hand uh, you know, all, all that kind of crazy stuff I was like ways around the tricks yeah uh, so was it um, when was the moment I mean you, you started doing A&R but was it something that you were immediately passionate about or was it something that you kind of grew into well I just like the whole process yeah banging on the guitar and uh uh just, just uh, being able to, uh, you know, I, I call them, I'd call it painting with sound. Mm-hmm. You know how you can just paint. Yeah. You can, uh, you can make it. You can make it real, or you can, you know, can spread it. Out. You can just do anything, manipulate it, uh, and that's that's a wonderful thing. I mean, if you do it correctly, yeah. it can be horrible if you do it the wrong way. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, and uh, so I, I. Uh, I, what I would do is I'd, I'd write songs sometimes, and then they would uh, they they liked it. <clears throat> they would they would get a group. I, I remember doing a song, uh, and then they changed. It. They said, "Let's call call you the Bats," and then up in Seattle or whatever, they would hire. They'd have a group that would do like one of those uh, those local uh, DJ shows, mm-hmm. and the guys would come on and lip sync the song. Uh, so I did that on a, a lot of records, and then I, I did this one song, and they said, uh, "All right, well, we're going to release this song as you." And I went, "I'm not an entertainer. What do you do? What do you mean?" They said, "No, nope, we're going to release it as you." 
then they drew me, uh, and then they put me on the Flintstones. I love that. Yeah, that was yeah. one of my questions. That is so cool that, you know, yeah. what an iconic cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So, um, then they had the, they had the Beatles manager, uh, uh type manager come in the door and see me on TV <laughs> and, uh, Fred and his buddy were, uh, watching me and stuff. Hey, yeah. My, I love my nephew who, you know, when he was young, he just thought I was there in bedrock. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And then, then the record took off in, in LA. Yeah. Uh, there was, a. There was the, uh, I'm still up in Laurel Canyon, so mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, the first the first hit by all of, all of us up here in Laurel Canyon were, was the birds, I think, uh, yeah. um, April, April 65, mm-hmm. uh, and the second hit was me in August of, uh, of 65, uh, and it was a pretty crazy time anyway I, I they booked me i went on i went on the uh dick clark uh show with uh, i was on the show with loving spoonful who uh i i really liked i got to know zolly i saw the clip of american bandstand where dick clark was asking you about your mustache yeah they ran a whole thing in uh uh in the teen magazine about should danny shave his mustache <laughs> one of those things Amazing. <laughs> and he be uh, obviously he he left the Beatles for for a while, and did his own thing in L.A. And he met, you know he did the Birds and uh, think of the Beach Boys and stuff like that. And me, he was my publicist. <laughs> so then he grew a mustache. <laughs> the trend, and the he, trend it became. <laughs> and then uh, just like mine actually. And then uh, then uh, then he talked to George, and George grew a mustache. <laughs> but then he did this whole thing later about saying that I. I'm the reason the Beatles <laughs> grew mustaches. mustaches. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, and then when Free Dog started, I shaved my mustache and Chuck grew it. <laughs> the guy in the group. But it was like everybody, the guy with the mustache. No, 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 no. It was, I was first. And then I went out on tour with uh, Sonny and Cher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Corey was on the opening act with a band called The Enemies, the other singer in the That must have been a great time, a great tour to be part of. <clears throat> yeah, it was when they they had I Got You, Babe, it was yeah. a big hit. Okay. And actually, on tour, uh, Len Berry was on tour with us also, and then he bumped them out of number one with <laughs> One, Two, Three, it was called. One, Two, Three. Uh, it was a strange tour. But uh, I learned a lot, and that was... That was the start of that period. Was there a moment, a mo- like a defining moment, where you realized, okay, you know, this is this is what I'm going to do? Well, yeah. Well, I had never really performed in public, so the first, my first performance was uh, five thousand people mm-hmm. opening for Sunny and Cher. That's a hell of a start. And uh, I, before I went on. I just thought I'm either going to faint or I'll get through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I came out and it was it was okay. It was fine. I had a you know the Vox guitar, the round, the real cool looking one that Brian Jones had. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Vox uh, actually uh, uh, they they promoted me. So I, I had the guitar, the amp, the whole thing. Uh, so a- after the first gig, 
guess what? My guitar was stolen. Oh. <laughs> I'd never been on tour. I had no, you know, oh, it was backstage. Right. And where's that? Well, it, it was there. Where'd it go? Right, right. <laughs> so I learned the lesson. Uh, that was the that was the start of that period. Did, was the guitar ever found or lost forever? Oh, well, I lost. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, they look great, but you know they weren't that good a guitar. Right. The the strings were way up, up off of the frets and mm -hmm. stuff. Are like you a, more of a Gibson or a Fender kind of man? Uh, well, as far as in the group, I like uh, I like our guitar player when he plays his uh, Les Paul. Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah. uh, it's got that fatter sound. Right, right. And. The Natelli and all that stuff, but I, I was an acoustic guitar player. I, I actually, I had I had my one guitar that I loved that I bought in Ireland that whole time, and I bought it for like fifteen dollars, uh, and I just loved it. And finally, uh, years and years later, uh, when uh, you, you know Crazy Horse, mm -hmm. uh, Danny Danny Witten, Danny Witten was actually going to be. I was thinking of him as the third singer in the band, but his he uh, he wasn't quite a tenor. You know, we needed somebody really up that could really get up high right. in power. And he, but he was a wonderful person. But you know, Danny, Danny just got really caught up in heroin, and uh, so he stayed at my house. And uh, then he left with my guitar. Probably I sold it for ten bucks. I don't know. I was just furious. So, um, that was the guitar said, that you brought from Ireland. Huh? That was that. That was the guitar you brought yep. from Ireland. Oh yep. man! Same guitar. Uh, anyway, then, and then then uh, Neil wrote the song. You know, the needle and the damage done. That was all about that. So it was a sad, sad time. Jeez. Oh, sad. Yeah, I, I knew the I knew them. Crazy Horse, one of the Rockets. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, actually, we did one of their songs on our. Uh, first first album one of neil's songs the loner yeah neil came down to uh, the whiskey actually and he came down with this uh he came down with this little amp uh and he he you know i, I actually have a recording of, of most of the song mm -hmm. and i thought that's amazing the sound just beautiful and then then i went to help him leave you know pick it up and it weighed like five thousand pounds i mean it was absolutely what it looked like and what was inside the guts were not two the same animal two different things two different you know things. he had that look like yeah just there it is my little lamp it's like no that crap that's five thousand dollars worth of technology going in there he was very smooth you guys played the whiskey quite a, quite a few times. Yeah, we're the house band, and then we'd switch with Chicago. Nice. Uh, they were a little younger. They they started about a year after us. That scene that scene around that time that you guys were performing was just insane. Do you, what insane. You, it, do you, I mean, geez. But nobody know. knew. Nobody knew. You know, it, it was it was a start of. Uh, it was a big deal <laughs> to mix different genres of music. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you you put a harpsichord on a song, it'd be what the hell is that possible? And what's going on there? You know, and and then mixing Latin or and blues with rock, and then uh, jazz came into it, and uh, uh, all of uh, prog rock. And uh, I, I always I always tell uh, tell my sons, you know, 
they're in different groups and they produce that that was the start it was like the, you get something pure you've got the uh, the beach boys were doing the the, uh, uh, the four freshmen combined with chuck berry yeah. combined with uh with uh with uh some of brian's uh, broadway uh, things you know uh uh, Gershwin, and combine those chords and the structure, uh, and then you it turns into something else. But there, there are all these pure, pure different types of music that all kind of clashed. Not clashed; they all melted into each other. It was wonderful. And what bothers me now is, and I would call that butter. And then now, not not everybody, of course, but a lot of people, uh, uh, they'll. They'll put margarine with margarine. It's imitations of stuff that's already been kind of combined, mm-hmm. and it turns into mush. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not clear. It's. It's, it's not. Not. Not as pure. Um, that sounds like an old cranky man, doesn't it? No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But obviously, there are brilliant, brilliant people. Say, well, well, what's what kind of music? What do you like now, or what do you like? And mm-hmm. it's, I like. What's good? Yeah. And uh, good is good. You can, I, in my heart, I hear good. And it doesn't matter what, what style of music. Sometimes, once in a while, even if I don't like the genre of the music, I'll go, that is clever. Yeah. That is cool. I, I don't like it when, I love the convenience of uh, a lot of the modern stuff and how you can fly music in and fly it out and all that stuff. But uh, there's a little too much of that. Oh, you, you want the what sound? Oh, okay. I've got 90 different guitar sounds like that. And you can push a button and get the sound. Right. But then there, there'll be 10 people that year that might have a hit with kind of a similar sound. And, uh, and the public doesn't even realize it. Why? But they'll say there's a sameness. There's a sameness about this, something there. And in 1959, you would go into the studio in general Mm -hmm. with some ambient mics, and on uh, Friday at 7 in the evening, you would record a time capsule at one or two takes. And that sound can't ever be reproduced because it was just a moment in time. Uh, and I kind of miss that. Uh, I absolutely understand and use the thing of, okay, well, all right, you're in Holland and I'm here. <laughs> I'll send you the tape and you add the part. <laughs> right. uh, it's a, a different way, a different way of doing it. You know? 